The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat. I am joined by the Stormwind Knight, Zacho. Zach, how are you? How you doing, Hat? I'm we have excited. a new expansion hat. We have news. We have things to talk about other than, hey, we're bored. Do you want to talk about Priest for another episode? No, I don't. We finally have things to talk about. We have a lot to discuss. We have a month before the expansion comes out. comes out on August 3rd. So we've got a pretty decently long reveal season here. But it looks like the set's going to have plenty of things to talk about. I mean, there won't be a long reveal season. I expect to see a quiet couple of weeks before we get into the reveal season. I think they've done, uh, they've transitioned into like a, a week long reveal season. So I don't expect to see a lot of new cards until the week of the 19th, maybe. And, uh, and then we'll see a big reveal. But usually they wait a little bit before between the announcement and the reveal season. Yeah. Just been a while since we got an announcement a month before. Usually it's been a little bit less time. Yeah. Um I, I don't know. I think this is this has been kind of part of for the course. Uh the it it's usually happens this way. Maybe I remember it differently, but there's usually a downtime. But it really doesn't matter. Um there's a lot of exciting things to talk about, even though even if we don't get new cards for like the next two weeks, uh, there's there's plenty to discuss, and and I'm really looking forward to this expansion, and I'll explain why uh, later. Uh, but for now, um, maybe it's a it's it's a it's a good idea to have like a short meta discussion about what's happening right now on ladder, and and then we'll get to the longer part, which is uh, discussing the expansion. All right, so let's dive in here. We should note we're still on the normal schedule for reports in the podcast. Should be on for a report next Thursday the 8th and podcast next Saturday the 10th. How long before the expansion do we usually stop reports? Um, usually we do the last report before we get into the content creation for the, for the expansion, right? So if, if everything uh, is on schedule, the same schedule that it was the last time, then we're probably going to have three more reports, maybe two more reports, possibly. Um, probably three more, uh, but we'll see. And then we're going to have a wild report as well. Very likely we're going to have a wild report before the new expansion. Um, sometime mid-July. And, uh, and and yeah, and that's that's... What about the Civilization Six meta report? Do we have one of those coming? Yeah, so yeah, so I actually don't mind the fact that uh, the expansion launches on August third. I expected it. That means I have like three weeks of jamming Civ Six. Uh, I got into the game summer sale. You know, uh, I like to buy the Civilization when it completes all the leaders are and, and all the expansions are out. So I'm just enjoying myself in that game because I, I don't enjoy myself in Hearthstone right now, to be honest. Uh, kind of bored of it, but it's okay. I think there will be uh, 
more excitement once the expansion launches. Yeah. I'm just checked out of standard. I'm playing some of the other modes, been trying a couple other games, but we are both really, really thrilled to talk about the new cards. So we're going to get through the old ones as soon as we can. We do want to talk about what's going on with this meta. In particular, how the entire high-level player base has lost their damn minds. I mean, they have a good reason to lose their minds, right? But uh... I'm not going to say it's not justified. <laughs> I'm going to say that I looked at the frequency with which no minion mage is being played, and it's ridiculous. Yeah. God, I hate this name, by the way. No minion mage. It's so, so, right. so stupid. Spell mage. Every spell mage. Yeah. It, every time somebody says no minion mage, I feel like I lose a point of intelligence. But anyway, uh, yeah. So the current meta, there's there's pretty much one story. Uh, throughout ladder, the meta looks pretty settled. I don't see a lot of movements of decks, uh, small optics, not anything significant. Everything seems settled. At top legend, though, the meta is changing quite a bit. And it's mostly about people... Basically, the player base have they have sworn an oath to destroy priest no matter what, no matter what the cost is. Um, over the last week, we've seen control priest rise in popularity. It's over twenty percent a top legend. The higher you climb at legend, like if you get to top top legend, there are even more priests. Uh, so the field is just completely fixated on beating this one deck. Um, there have been developments in every archetype, basically. We've talked about it last week. In last week's report, there's pretty much details. How do you perform better against priests with every deck in the game, uh, even those that are unfavored? And people have been doing that. You know, you see more Felsdale Executioners and Death Rattle Demon Hunter and such and such. And all these adjustments do affect Priest. And also, but the bigger news is the rise of decks that beat Priest. You see more Shamans. Uh, players at Top Legend have previously been reluctant to play Shaman, even though it was very, very popular, always been popular throughout ladder since Wailing Caverns. At Top Legend, you did see a decline. Now, you don't really see that decline in play anymore. It's the second most popular class. Uh, at Top Legend, makes sense because it's the one class that beats priest but still has a good win rate um it doesn't really sacrifice much by beating priest so you see a lot of uh elemental shamans elemental shaman is split between the two variants the whack build is the one that you play throughout most of ladder it's generally well-rounded has good matchups against pretty much everything every matchup feels winnable the doomhammer build the doomhammer variant of elemental shaman more fixated uh, towards beating Priest, also better against Lifesteal Demon Hunter. That's another deck that's more popular at Top Legend. So that variant becomes more powerful there. And a lot of players have had success running the Doom variant of Elemental Shaman at Top Legend. This is, seems to be the main deck of choice for uh, players at high levels. Uh, but you also see Doom Shaman, which is the non-tribal, the vanilla Doomhammer uh, Shaman deck that plays out very differently that deck has even better matchup against Control Priest, though it is more polarizing sacrifices uh, in other matchups, so not as well-rounded, not as good throughout the rest of ladder. But yeah, Shaman is really strong. Uh, people are recognized that it's strong, and it's one of the. It's probably the best answer to Priest right now. You see that, and then you see the irrational 
Rise of a deck that beats Priest, which is Spell Mage. What's happening with Spell Mage is kind of ridiculous because the deck doubled in its play rate over the last week. Doubled. It went from like 4%, uh, 4.5% to 9% play rate at Top Legend over the last week. We're talking about the third month of the an expansion. You know, the meta is pretty settled. You see a deck double in its play rate. Immediately, I go look at its win rate. Okay, so what's going on here? Why is it rising in popularity? Did it get better? Maybe Priest got popular, more popular, feel more favorable. No. Spellmage did not improve its performance at all. It's still pretty much tier 3, situationally good, but obviously there are better choices out there, but people are just playing Mage to kill, to kill Priest at all cost, and they don't benefit from it. They don't get more wins. They just want to kill priests. And this is pretty much the story of the meta top legend. You want to kill priests more than anything else. That's what you care about. Um, there is a, there's actually a pattern. Like I've kind of looked at it. I'm, I don't want to say too much about this because I didn't do too much of an extensive work on this subject, but I do see a trend of players playing a deck, then losing to Priest, and then switching to something that beats Priest. Like, they can play, they can have like a 60% win rate, right, playing a deck that is unfavored against Priest. Um, they would climb Legend pretty well. They lose one game to Priest, and they lose their minds. Mage, Shaman, Demon Hunter, immediately. Uh, that's, that's pretty much the story. Like, they cannot stand losing to Priest. And I can't blame them because I can't stand losing to Priest either. I do not play any deck that is unfavored against Priest. I would love to play Miracle Rope. I would love to play that deck. But I refuse just because it's slightly unfavored against Priest. That's the absurdity of the situation. See, when you paused and said, I don't want to say this yet. I was assuming you were going to talk about the sudden rise of Yogg and Low Death Rattle Hunter, which is clearly this meta's hidden gem, right? Right? No, I'll tell you what. The meta's hidden gem right now is Owl Druid. Jankmaster Jambray has, uh, you know, solidified a top legend spot last month uh, with this deck. He did quote you in the tweet. Yes, he did. He quoted the report. He reads the report like on stream. He follows us closely. He's a fan of ours generally. Obviously, not always he's going to agree with everything that we say. But yeah, he's he, he's a good dude. Uh, and uh, yeah, the deck is just not good. It's, it, it doesn't perform. It does not perform whatsoever. But Jambra is Jambra. He always does this uh, every every time. He makes a deck... Like it's very important that we have people like John Bray in the fee in the competitive field because um, they uh, propagate new builds and new experimentations, and sometimes that can really, um, you know, spice things up, freshen up a meta that's otherwise stale. And sometimes those new decks are could be hits, could be things that are worth running. Right now, I don't really see that Aldrid is a deck that's worth running. But regardless of results, whether the deck ends up being good or not, Jumper always makes it work, uh, makes his decks uh, work. So he's yeah, an I don't exceptional know about player him. that builds weird stuff, and sometimes that weird stuff actually translates really well. 
there have been a couple times we've had, I think it was the Doom meta that wasn't Doom in the Tombs. We had a deck that was just called Jomper Shaman. And it was in the report, and we've done that a couple times. But a lot of the rest of the time, his decks just... The success is not replicated by the rest of the player base, but Jombre wins with Jombre decks. Yeah. Now, you would expect that most of those decks would not be good because we're talking about a stale meta where everybody has already figured out what's good, and he's trying to, to do create something that isn't really there, that hasn't been discovered before. And it's pretty hard to discover new decks this uh, late into the expansion, even though we did have a mini set with some new cards. But yeah, um, so meta developments are pretty stale. Um, I think everything is settled down. The only thing that hasn't settled down again is people just wanting to kill priests at all costs. And we had an extensive discussion last week um, worth checking out. Why do we think priests... Uh, people complain about priests so much. What makes it so different from other decks in the past that were complained about? It has this unique, uh, um, unique trait of making players concede <laughs> without even playing out the matchup, even though the matchup is winnable. We've talked about it last week. Check it out if you want, but um, that's all there is to it in the current meta, really. And there have been a couple developer interviews that came out today after the announcement of the expansion where they talk specifically about Priest. There's a new archetype, Shadow Priest, a new one that's coming, and they're trying stuff, and they're very aware of Liv Breeden talked about how generating Priest was last year and how they really want to tone that down. They have kind of an upper limit for the number of cars that can be generated in a given game and give some draw instead of creation. I think they're pretty aware of what's going on with the play patterns, and I'm hopeful that there will be a more proactive strategy for Priest. I mean, we've already seen the signs with Welling Caverns and what Priest got, right? We got two cycle cards, uh, so it's an, an indication that they understand what's uh, what's happening. You know, I've been an advocate since this podcast launch. I pretty much said that late-game strategies need to have proactive win conditions. That's what makes them the most intriguing, the most engaging, and the most fun. And today you see the result of a deck that doesn't have that proactive win condition, just wins by grinding you to dust. And those decks tend to be the most unfun uh, uh, things to play against. For many players, it is a subjective thing, but you do see it um, uh, throughout Hearthstone's history. Whenever whenever a deck just wins through attrition, uh, through that passivity, it better be bad, because if it isn't bad, then it just creates such a strong reaction. And um, a lot of players, like, I, I, you look at all top players, pretty much, Almost all of them just cannot stand this deck. They either play this deck because they love it, like somebody like Tic Tac, who's a priest specialist, pretty much. He plays Tic Tac uh, priest all day, and he loves priests, but he still wants to delete the class. So it's kind of funny, but but yeah, um, uh, we've talked about it last week. The Elusia conundrum, the the fact that you can grind, uh, uh, you can grind opponents to death, and yet still counter combo strategies. Uh, there are problems with priests, but I think they do recognize those problems. And this expansion that we're going to talk about right now, uh, I think, has some remedies. And I'll, I'll explain why. I see remedies to the current situation. 
and we still have a month until the next expansion, I imagine there will be some kind of card changes before then because there's no way they're just going to leave this meta the way it is for another 30 days because it is dreadful. Oh, you think there's going to be a balance patch? So this meta is one of the least engaging months of standard I can remember ever seeing. And they kind of have to make some changes just to nudge stuff for the sake of change. I don't know if they're going to, but they have every month for the past year and a half. That's just kind of what they've done. So to not touch anything this month would be different. And the meta is balanced. It's really balanced, in fact. But people don't want to play it as much, and player interest is way it down. Is. It is balanced. Uh, it is balanced, which shows you that uh, balance is not everything when it comes to player enjoyment. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure they're going to change anything. I don't know what they would change other than uh, deleting Lucia. That's the first thing I would do. Um and potentially maybe apotheosis but let's talk about the new expansion and why i think that regardless of whether they change something for this month just so that people don't suffer that hard um and again this is a this is entirely a top legend thing if you're complaining about priests and you're not playing a top legend uh, I, I would understand still because regardless of whether it's good or not, there is a frustration element within your play against Priest, but Priest outside of Top Legend is not good. You know, I got a question on Reddit. Somebody marked it. I mean, obviously, we, we talk about it in the report um, that even at Legend, right, outside of Top 1000, Priest has a negative win rate. It is a Tier 3 deck at Legend outside of Top Legend, outside of 1000, Top 1,000, where we, we mark it down as top. It's not good. It doesn't perform. Priest not perform. It's not a power level issue whatsoever. It's not even a good deck in the hands of players outside of top legend. It's it's not. So if you complain, and it's also not that popular too, because it's not good. You know, people are not winning with it. So they're not playing it. Where Priest becomes powerful is only at top legend. And it's because it has a high skill cap. As much as we meme about it, when we see it, we recognize it. We say it. Lifesteal Demon Hunter, Control Priest have two of the highest skill, the two highest skill ceilings in the format. Their matchups significantly improve a top legend. For Lifesteal Demon Hunter, it turns it from a deck that's unplayable into a deck that's competitive. Still doesn't have the greatest winner, but it's competitive. And Priest, it turns it from a deck from like a tier three, worse than mediocre deck into one of the best decks in the format. A deck that has a 20 plus percent play rate, still has a positive win rate, even though every player in the game, in the format at this level is trying as, as their damn hardest in order to counter Priest. By playing Spell Mage at a 9% play rate, Spell Mage, that's what needs to happen for priests to look uh, okay, look high tier 3 or, or around that mark. So it really is, in terms of power level and popularity, it is mostly a top legend issue. It is not an urgent uh, issue for other levels of play, especially since you, know, you don't see a lot of them uh, outside of that. So I don't know if we need to make urgent balance changes. It's not urgent. The time for urgency is past already. It's just a play experience thing to get people more interested in the last month of the meta and to set up for what they're doing next. I can see it, but I, I can definitely see them doing something. Uh, the first thing that, you know, I just want them to delete Elusia. I've said it multiple times. 
you were very clear about that last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just need to delete the Lucia. If we can do that before the next expansion, then great. But I wouldn't be surprised if they did nothing. You know, we're used to them doing something, but I wouldn't uh, begrudge them if they ended up doing nothing. I would like to, them to do something, but, you know, I'm okay. I'm playing Civ 6 for now. As long as Priest is this popular top legend where I'm at, I'm going to play Civilization 6. What can I say? Um, yeah, if you're frustrated, just find another game. Honestly, I'm, it's kind of weird for me to say that. But if you find another game until that point, then okay. But if, yeah, if they want them people to go back into playing Hearthstone uh, more seriously over the next month, then maybe they will make changes. I don't know. The last month they didn't release an expansion or make a balance change was February 2020. That was the last time where they had a month where they didn't make any changes, and there were two changes in March of that year, so they caught up for it. They don't have to change things for the meta's sake, but maybe for refreshment. Mostly what I'm pointing to is their pattern of behavior. They change stuff once a month. That's what they've done. That's what they do. I don't know if they're going to keep doing that, but that's been what they've been doing. Yeah, and they do make ba they did start making balance changes outside of the major patches, right? Like content patches are separate from balance. So we could have a, a balance changes next week. It's possible. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm just lowering expectations uh, for myself because I'm I'm ju I've just written the game off for now. Uh, but yeah, maybe they could they could do something that would be appreciated. Um, and if I haven't said it enough, delete Lucia. But yeah, let's move on to the next expansion. Yes. United in Stormwind. Very exciting. Cool cinematic. The pre-order is on sale. If you buy the pre-order, you get the Lady Katrana press store, card back, and Mage Hero. You know a little bit about her, right, Zach? Yeah. Mage Portrait Plethora is so overpowered. There are so many. Are, I want to There are so many top-tier... There's so many top tier portraits for a mage. I don't know what to pick. Like both of the mage ones uh, from uh, you know the rewards track are fantastic. Jaina has so many good portraits. Um, there's just and now you've got Prester. Oh my god, it's so difficult. the The portrait meta is like mages tier one for sure. And now we've got Prester's back. It's going to be difficult. I don't know what, what to pick. But yeah, whatever. Anyway, um, new cards, hat. Let's talk about the new mechanics and, and, and stuff. Okay, so we're going to go mechanic by mechanic. There's a lot to, to get into here. The set has some complexity to it. The mechanic that I think we're going to spend the most time on here is tradable. Cards can be dragged back to your deck for one mana to draw a different card. This is not playing a spell. It's not like a choose one. Your deck turns green when you're holding this card. And if you drag it back, one mana goes away. The way it functions, you end up drawing a card and then this card gets shuffled back into your deck. You draw the top card of your deck. So Cult Neophyte won't make this cost more and Cantor Slow will make this cost less. Your deck does get reordered after this. You can do it on 10 cards and you will not burn a card. And you can't trade with an empty deck. Not that you would want to. So, so in Magic, this is called cycling. But it goes to your graveyard instead of back to your deck. We've seen four cards so far. They're really aimed at being more conditional or situational. But before we get into it, Zach, do you have any thoughts on the mechanic? 
I think tradable might be one of the best keywords they've ever designed. Uh, this is a, this is a fantastic idea. Whoever came up with this, uh, high praises for me on designing this mechanic because I feel like it's going to feel good. It's going to also feel good to play against. It's the kind of thing that I strongly suspect uh, would stay in Hearthstone in future sets as well. Usually you have a keyword for an expansion like Frenzy and Adapt and things like that that stay for one expansion and you don't see them anymore. And then you see other examples like Discover. Discover was a keyword uh, for League of Explorers. It was introduced in League of Explorers and, you know, new players may be surprised by this, but, but Discover was very well received. It was loved by the player base when it was introduced, which is one, was one of the reasons why um, they kept printing new Discover cards and made it uh, like a, key, uh, a permanent keyword uh, in their design plans, just like Rush, which you see every expansion, you see new Rush cards, you see Taunt cards, Lifesteal cards. Every once in a while, there's a new keyword that just sticks around. And I think that Tradable has a great chance of just sticking around in the future and and having them, uh, seeing them return to that keyword because I think it's going to be good for the game. The reason why I think it's good for the game is that it's a mechanic that depolarizes experiences. Uh, you're playing a situational card very often. You don't want to run situational cards in your deck because um, they suck to draw when you don't want them and then you're you're stuck with kind of a dead card or a very underwhelming card here you have a mechanic that allows you to cycle the card for one mana and honestly there would be many decks uh over hearthstone's history which would very much appreciate just a one mana spell that drew a card just cycled uh flare back in the day was played just as a one mana spell that cycle the card so in terms of cost uh, uh spending one mana to cycle a card is a pretty good deal obviously you'd rather run a card that you wanted to put in your deck but if you're looking at a situational card um if you can also cycle it whenever it's not very good for just one mana then it really i think ups the 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 floor of that card like the floor of that card isn't as bad like okay i drew this this card against an opponent that i don't really need this card for at least i can i can cycle it also may might be relevant for uh like late game strategies that are like full control late game strategies where it doesn't put you in fatigue uh one ahead in fatigue because like your deck your deck is still same size um so I think there's a lot of upside here. The crucial part is that these cards are going to be underwhelming when they're played, or at least, you know, on par, not very powerful cards when they're played, because if you make them powerful and also give them that cycling uh, possibility, they could be too, too strong. Uh, so you're looking at cards that are not huge outliers when they're played they're not huge power spikes when they're played so they're not extremely frustrating when they're drawn and games are not going to be heavily decided by whether you drew that card or not 
which is good for the opponent, right? But for the player who pilots this card, uses this card, the experience of drawing it in the worst moment is going to be lessened, which is why I think it's going to be a card that is going to be a fun experience and will probably be well-received. I could eat my words in a month from now, two months from now. Obviously, there could be tradable cards that are too powerful because they're too powerful, right? They could be printed as being too powerful. Everything, every keyword can end up being too powerful because of one card. But in terms of inherent design, I think tradable is one of the healthiest mechanics we've ever seen. And I think it's going to be well-received. And I'm hoping that we will consistently see it in the future as well. It's just one of the best ideas we've ever seen from Team 5, really. Yep. Player agency. It's kind of sort of card draw, but not too much. Um, the main issue that I can see here, the UI is pretty straightforward, but if mobile players are like accidentally trading cards all the time, that'll be a problem. Got to make sure that's not an issue, but we have to play with it before we see that's the case. But that's not really about the card design. That's more about the UI design. The way that they're approaching designing these cards is that they look for situational stuff, as I mentioned. If Ilganoth had tradable, no, that is not a good idea. You don't want to do that, but they're not going to do that. The cards they printed, we've got Fire Sail. It's a four mana common mage fire spell. It deals three damage to all minions and has tradable. This card is very, very good. This card this is, is the best very, one we've seen good. so far, for sure. This card is very good. So first of all, okay, so four mana, deal three, kind of a hellfire, right? It's not a card you would run in Constructed, but in Mage, when you have Encanter's Flow, it gets a, there's a bigger upside there. But the fact that this is tradable makes it so good because whenever you queue into a matchup where you don't need DAOE, right? You're playing against, like, your Mage, you're playing against Priest. They're not going to flood the board. They don't have a Glowfly Swarm that you need to deal with. So you can just cycle it for one. And it's so good in late game matchups where you can just cycle it. Just like, I mean, it's not good in late game matchups against defensive decks. The fact you can cycle it makes it so much, so much better. It's just such a big difference here. So I think Firestell is just fantastic design on a card that's going to be good. And I strongly suspect that this card will see play but it's going to feel great playing it with it uh, too. So really like this card. So let's let's keep going. Yeah, and I think this would go into Spell Mage right this very moment, right now. Right this moment, right now. Would 100% play this card. It is so good. Uh, Heavy Plate. This is three mana common warrior spell, gain eight armor, tradable. So you can see why Shield Block rotated out. This is not Shield Block. Want to be clear. Or is not the same as and. Very important difference. But this card, people will definitely run this. Yeah, this card's good. Uh, this card's also good. When you need the armor, you're going to use it. When you don't need the armor, you're just going to cycle it in a control warrior deck. This card seems ideal. Uh, very likely to see play. Uh, again, control warrior usually uh, or often plays for fatigue. Uh, heavy removal focus, which means that a tradable card um, could be better than just a cycle card. I mean, this is worse than Shield Block, sure, but it's still going to be a good card, I think, and pretty much, I think, uh, both Firestell and Heavy Plates are good designs with this mechanic. I really like what they're trying to do here, but yeah, let's keep going. Well, Love it. 
Loving it. These two are good examples. I think you have to want to play both halves. You have to want to do the one mana draw sometimes, which Control is okay with. The more aggressive decks, it's a much bigger cost. But you have to also want to play the four mana deal three or the three mana gain eight. Because this next card, Impatient Shopkeeper, is a three mana three three, common neutral rusher with tradable. This one's going to see a lot less play. Mm, I can see this card being played in Rush Warrior. But yeah, th this card is not great. Here's the thing. Uh, I think it's very likely that people, including top-level players, are going to overrate tradable because they're obsessed with card draw. Top-level players, for the for good reasons and bad reasons, they're obsessed with draw. Everything that cycles immediately piques their curiosity, and uh, I think that it will likely be, like a lot of the tradable cards are going to be overvalued. If a card is not good, right, you don't want it just because it's tradable. Like if if the card's just not good, right? You'd rather have another card, uh, which, by the way, I fully expect Hath, in a future podcast to make fun of people who keep tradable in their mulligan just oh, yeah. to cycle it on and one and then fire it off on one. Yeah, I am going to make fun of these people. Is every card is, in your is, mulligan because you <laughs> click it? Yes, <laughs> I mean, guys, it, you, you, uh, trade it back. But yeah, but this is the story, guys. If you can play a better card in your deck, you will. It's for free. You just go to your collection and exchange a tradable card for a card you actually want in the game. The fact that you can pay one mana to trade it is nice. It makes it worse when you're drawing it in the wrong, in the wrong moment. But you need to have a right moment for the card. And if the card doesn't have a right moment, you might as well remove it from your deck. Also in the mulligan... If you keep a tradable card in the mulligan, I'm gonna smack you, because I'm gonna I'm gonna metaphorically. You can imagine me like you're on, you're with your headphone raised out. My my hand is gonna reach out from outside your get out of your uh, left headphone. Just imagine it and slap you, because if you can mull a card, that's basically trading it for zero mana for no mana cost. So no, you don't keep you don't play a tradable just to. You don't run it just to play it on turn one. All right, wait, hold on a minute. I want you to, listener, listen up. Look at your opening hand. You see the fire sale that you want to keep so you can trade it back? No. Put it back. That was my smack. That was my smack. Yeah, you just, very good. However, there is one tradable card, this next one. You may actually want to keep it in the opener, but not to trade it. Rustrot Viper, 3 mana, 3, 4, common, neutral, mini, beast, battle cry, destroy your opponent's weapon, tradable. They finally rotated Acidic Swampus. It is no longer a standard card. This card, this card could actually be a decent tech card just because you can trade it. It's so much better than Ooze. Because the reason why Ooze is bad, and we've consistently said that Ooze is bad, and it's pretty much, there's only one deck in recent memory where Ooze is actually good, in, and that's Lifesteal Demon Hunter, and that's mainly because it has so much draw that it can afford to run one slightly dead card, is that you draw an Ooze in the wrong moment, in a situation, in a matchup where it's not relevant, and it heavily punishes you. Here you have an Ooze, 
Obviously, it's a three mana, three, four. That's worse because you're spending one extra mana for the effect and you're still playing a vanilla minion, which is not good. But making it tradable means that in a matchup where you're not interested in weapon tech, you could just cycle it and trade it. So the floor of the card becomes better. The situations where the card is bad aren't as bad. And that kind of levels the experience, right? Levels the frustration of running this this kind of narrow tech card. Now, I'm not sure if this card will actually be good. But I will say that this card is far better than Ooze. Uh, it makes me more suspicious or more wary of weapons uh, yeah. in the next expansion. Because Doomhammer just got a lot worse. Yeah, Doomhammer just got a lot worse. The thing is, even if Viper doesn't end up being very good, it's going to be played. Because we know that Ooze gets played far more than it should against our best advice, right? And tradable cards are going to be so incredibly overplayed because people just say, oh, you can just throw it back. That that's not a reason to include a card in your deck. There, it's going to happen. Like I think that tradable is going to become. It's a strong mechanic. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's going to be so overhyped and overrated that at least initially, people will heavily overplay tradable cards. And Viper is a really good example of a card that is going to be the biggest bait of this expansion because people are going to play when they should. 100%. It's basically guaranteed. But it is better than Ooze. That is true. By a large margin. You never play Ooze until you have two of these in your deck. And then only if you need a third weapon destruction card, which nobody needs. You pretty much never, yeah. But I, I expect to see Viper being played. Whether it's good or not, I mean, we'll find out whenever we do a report, right? And evaluate the card. Yeah. The idea that these are going to be just thrown into decks it seems extremely likely right now as the year goes on and progresses and we need more slots for synergy then it's going to be harder and harder to find room for these cards but people found room for ooze in the strangest metas or for other bloodfin raptors remember zephyrus was played in a lot of decks 29 non-highlander decks playing a two minute three two now there was an interview in ign where both celestalon and live breeden said that tested with a lot more tradable cards and they found that it was better and more fun if it was on situational cards and only a few of them so we're not going to see a ton of them uh i do imagine that this is going to be a very well received mechanic i hope they do it on a few cards and in the future i hope they revisit the mechanic but there is a density problem that you could run into if there are a lot of one mana draw cards that a lot of decks have access to then that really starts to get problematic if both it becomes really dirtly if players just drawing cards all the time and they can dig for whatever they're looking for it'd be weird i mean i can see a situation where a deck stacks tradables and does something really stupid so i don't expect to see a lot of tradable cards but i think it's going to be a mechanic that um will be revisited because it's going to be um it's going to feel good when you play it um, just because of the, yeah. And yeah, it makes sense that the situational cards are what get what gets the uh, tradable mechanic because you don't want the cards to be baseline too powerful. It's when drawing a card when you play it is too good, but not drawing a card is too bad. Tradable is like the perfect middle ground. Look at Heavy Plate versus Shield Block. Heavy Plate's a way worse card. If you need the armor, you gain the armor. If you need the draw, you get the draw, but you don't get both. Kind of an interesting compromise. 
that allows them to design cards that are right in the middle. It's basically drawing half a card. Yeah, it, it, I think it, it's going to be very well received. And I think out of these four, Fire Sale and Heavy Plate are pretty much guaranteed to see play. Maybe not as much Heavy Plate just because of the archetype. Because I don't know if Control Warrior will be good, but if Control Warrior is good, it's going to play Heavy Play. That's uh, I'm pretty sure about it. Yeah. And Fire Sale, I think, makes Mage a better class, just by existence. By far, by far. Spell Mage does not have early AoE. I mean, it's going to be so strong. This is so strong with Encanter's Flow as well. Yep. I really like it. And remember, Encanter's Flow does not make the tradable cost zero. It's not casting the spells, paying a fixed cost, so that will not change unless we see cards that change tradable, which we it haven't seen yet. It keeps enchantment, so if you play Encanter's Flow and you get, you draw a fire sale, a three-mana fire sale, and you decide to trade it, it, it gets shuffled at three-mana, so it does not lose the mana discount. Just don't expect to trade it for zero, that's all. So yeah, I think this is a big win on Team 5's part for the mechanic. Now we're going to start moving into Cycles. First, we've got profession tools. These are weapons that have no no attack. They have triggered effects that when you do a thing, they lose durability. It's not quite like the legendary weapons because these are meant to be temporary. They're not persistent. You use them. You just don't attack with them. The first one, Ruined Mithra Rod. This is the enchanting one for you WoW players. It's for Warlock. It's three mana, zero two Warlock weapon. After you draw four cards, reduce the cost of all cards in your hand by one and lose one durability. So it's two Thorson ticks. You have to work pretty hard for them. Now, if you have cast when drawn cards like Soul Fragments, they do count towards the tick. So if you play this and then you draw three Soul Fragments, then you get the first tick right away. Oh, this card looks dangerously good. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a mana penalty. Three mana for doing nothing is pretty significant. But, you know, I always say this. I mean, throughout Hearthstone's history... It's proven time and time again that cars that discount mana in this fashion, just you just cannot sleep on those cards. Uh, this reminds me of Octobot, but it has two triggers. So, like, you play this, and then you play Backfire, and that's it. You get a discount. Because you play this on three, and... Then you draw a card on your turn and you play Backfire. That's it. You activate. It It includes cards that you draw naturally, right? You don't need to instantly pair this with card draw. Uh, This will trigger after four turns. If you don't even click life tap, this triggers after two turns if you life tap twice. So I don't think this is as difficult to work for as it seems because it includes cards that are naturally drawn at the start of your turn? Well, the difficulty is playing Warlock, right? You have to play Warlock and skip your third turn. Or skip three mana somewhere. I mean, the difficulty is playing the the, the three mana initially. It's definitely, like, gives up initiative. Your opponent uh, gets a free turn. That's something that you have to consider. But, you know, <laughs> if you didn't need to do that, then this card would be broken beyond belief. Uh, but I think that this card has a lot of upside and is potentially very powerful. I just, when I see these kinds of just blank discounts, I just can't underestimate these kind of effects. These effects have proven to be very powerful and very easily abusable, especially when you, you know, you look at a card right now 
we haven't seen even the whole sets set yet there are probably more synergies that work with every card that we see and you know i think i remember like the best example example that i remember was uh carnivorous cube was a card that was early revealed in the expansion announcement for kobolds and i looked at cube and i said oh okay this could be okay but it's kind of slow it's kind of and then all the synergies came in with the rest of the cards in the set and so it was like yeah okay this card's insane uh so it's really too early but i think mithril rod has a great chance of being a really powerful card um yeah so seems good i don't know double Thor thorison seems good the the power is there in terms of what the effect says like two with thorison text is good but can warlock end up paying three mana for this do you need the discounts what do you do with it can you survive a lot of questions i really hope that there are support for the class if this ends up being good it'll probably be pretty spooky if you see this and you can't kill this next couple turns then i think that there will be a fear of what can they do or maybe it'll be a known combo and you're just like oh i'm dead yeah i mean this uh, kind of reminds me of uh palm reading it's very much like palm reading palm reading is also three mana you're not doing much uh, on the turn you play it unless you have a renew or a holy smite or something yeah, yeah, I guess Pomerty is a little bit more proactive than this one, but you have to, like, it discounts everything in your hand. It's not just spells, and you have two charges. This could be very, very good. Yeah, it's uh, it's too early to tell, but the text here has, there's some error to exploring this. There's also, we received the Paladin 1. This is a 1 mana zero three rare paladin weapon after a friendly minion loses divine shield give all minions in your hand plus one plus one and lose one durability so this is not a palm reading this is a conditioning in a way uh you have to work a little bit harder for it i mean how hard do you need to work on it you're just playing early game divine shield minions which exist paladin has plenty of them and they're probably going to get more uh, with this set because this card was printed. This card is not going to be printed without new uh, Divine Shield Paladin minions. This could be very good. I mean, three hand buffs? Like, it's plus three, plus eight. You're spending, like, a lot of people say, oh, this is slow. This seems like it's bad or whatever. It's a hand buff. Guys, this is one mana. This is a one mana weapon. It's one mana. Like, you don't need this to be super, super powerful. And the thing is, if it activates three times, that's a lot of buffs for just one mana. And, you know, we're not in the days of MSG. There are rush minions now. And rush is a mechanic that really helped hand buffs uh, be viable. You see it in Rush Warrior right now. And, yeah, this feels like conditioning. So I can definitely see a, a Paladin deck that um runs early game divine shields and a lot of you know scaling minions that get a lot of benefits from being buffed the only thing that paladin is missing to make that work is draw obviously draw engines not just cycles you need some sort of draw engine to help keep your hand size uh big enough 
for this card to be a worthwhile payoff. But if it gets something like that, then yeah, this can work. This is just one mana. The effect seems slow and under... This is one mana, guys. The effect doesn't need to be that powerful. Uh, so yeah, I, I see potential here. The downside... It, this is a choice between this and Sword of the Fallen. You can't really run them in the same deck because you expect this card to sit there for a while. If you play it on turn one, you're also really going to want minions early, but you got to choose between developing the weapon. You also want to you want a minion dense build had. You yeah. don't want to run a bunch of secrets and draw them with this card, so it's not going to work with secrets. Yeah, it's you want like goody two shields, righteous protector, that sort of thing. Yeah, but from like personally for me, I don't want to run secrets, and there are many people who can enjoy paladin without running secrets and the fact that this doesn't work well with sword is good design right this is good for us this is not bad for us no it's it's a choice i don't want to have to play secrets in paladin but if secrets end up being better than this card this card doesn't see play because you can't run it in the sword of the fallen deck it's a choice that players have to make as to which one they want to play on ladder i like that those choices exist but at a certain point if there's a win rate differential then the choice is made for us, and I really hope that doesn't happen. But I do think there's promise here. I think that there's going to be more support that's going to make Jewel Kit look better than it currently looks, and um, a one-minute card that has such an effect, like has a potentially really major upside, uh, cannot be underestimated again. Maybe, maybe these weapons are why they printed Viper. I mean... That might be the reason why Viper is, uh, was printed, because these weapons like look really good i would guess that's not the main reason why they printed that card but i have to imagine it's a reason i mean every class is going to get this wep uh, a weapon i think so, yeah it does seem like to be the case so uh, yeah i think viper did get printed in some part because of these weapons it's a safety valve yeah yeah i can see it all right, so we also have the next cycle we're going to talk about here is mounts. This is a cycle of spike ridge steeds, basically. You buff a minion with stats and a keyword or an effect, and then when the minion dies, then you summon, you drop the mount that has the same stats and keyword. And they're going to be a little different. Not every class is getting one of these. They said the mechanic was going to be kind of one notey if they tried to do it 10 different times over and over again. It's only going to go to the Alliance characters. I believe it's only five classes. So we have two of these revealed so far. We're going to start with the Priest one. It's a seven mana rare Priest spell. Give a minion plus four, plus seven, and taunt. When it dies, you summon a four, seven beast with taunt. That's 14 butt. 14 taunt butt. This is a lot of taunt <laughs> in Priest. So much butt. Yeah. Yeah, I think this card seems good to me. Like... Spike Ridge Steed was one of the better cards, um, one of the better Paladin buffs we've seen. It was 2-6 for 6. You had double 2-6. A 2-6 taunt for 4 mana is just on, on par, right, of a vanilla minion. Uh, maybe even slightly stronger than that. Here you have a 4-7 taunt. That's also pretty good for five mana and you're getting this for seven for just an extra two mana you get a stronger taunt body this looks very good now you're wondering what priest deck is going to play this i actually think that the deck that has a chance to utilize it pretty perversely is miracle priest 
because you can just chain discounts with uh, Bloodweaver and you get to defend your like you're you're developing a massive board with uh, you know summoning all these cards, all these minions, Sethic Veilweavers and Bloodweavers. Well, and the great thing about Miracle Priest is they'll be able to try this card out without putting it in the deck at all. Just play normal Miracle Priest and go find it and see how it plays. Yeah, you can obviously you can you can randomly generate it, but currently Miracle Priest runs a card. Psych Split is a common inclusion, and I feel like this is way better than Psych Split. So there's a decent chance uh, that you're gonna see Elk Mountain Miracle Priest if it ends up existing because it just gives you such defensive safety. Uh, it has such synergy with apotheosis. Like, how do you? This is so good with a. This is disgusting. Hat you play this fourteen health. They need to remove fourteen health. This is such an apotheosis threat. Like, if you don't kill this, they're gonna plant apotheosis next time. What do you even do? Devolving missiles. That's pretty much what you need to do. Like, a sounds are devolving. Lily pad lurker. Yeah, you need you need transform effect. Or you're just going to get wrecked by Apotheosis. It's really good against the stuff that Priest is already good against. But it's it's a bunch of butt. It's going to be annoying. I don't know if we can get away with running this. Seven minutes a lot. It's a big butt, Hat. This is a big butt. It is a very big butt. I don't know. This, this, is, this has potential to see play in, in Priest decks for sure. Just because of the synergy with Apotheosis. Priest can struggle keeping a minion on the board. And having this card, it just locks out games. Uh, well, if you have a minion target on turn seven, you still have to play something and then target it with seven mana or less. I mean, you play a P Elemental and GG. But, I mean, or they trade into the P Elemental and then you don't have a target for this. This is going to be good where Priest is already doing well and they can stick minions and, and you can play this. Your opponent's not going to have an answer. But a lot of the decks that are good against Priest have answers to this. If you spend seven mana on Elec and then they one mana deal with it and deal with your whole turn, that's pretty devastating. You need, you know what other other decks beat? There are two types of decks that beat Priest right now, right? Spell Mage, which has Devolving, admittedly so. It has it. But then there's Doomhammer Shaman and Death Rattle Demon Hunter with Felsteel Executioners. Both of these are weapon decks that want to hit Priest in the face and they need a direct approach to the priest's face and if you have this card like if priest plays this card in those matchups the game is over like i hope you understand that right well the the doom elemental shaman does play lurker yeah but can you can you lily pad lurker both the p elemental and the this one this this elk mount i don't know you're gonna run out of lily pad lurker if they're dead to a doom hammer and they have no minions in play starting on turn 7, then I don't think it matters. I I guess, I guess. I don't know. I see a lot of potential in this card. I think this card could be sneakily good. It could good. be. I'm not writing enough. You just have to make it to the late game with a minion or be able to start your turn by playing a minion than this. But I do think that Miracle Priest has a chance of just hard running it just because of the discount. You can just... I think it has, has potential. Might help the deck break the 40% win rate barrier. I mean, the deck is already okay. It's okay. It's tier 3, a top legend. And high skill cap as well, just like Control Priest. It improves a lot. I have heard about the high skill cap. It has a high skill cap. <laughs> yep. That's what I've heard. We also have a Hunter Mount. 
This is a very different card. Three mana, give a minion plus two, plus two, and immune while attacking. When it dies, you summon a 2-2 beast that has immune while attacking. I mean, this is this is a three mana hunter spell, which means uh, Barack Obama can draw this. Already, already makes it a meaningful choice. Um, yeah, I see. This this is strong. Like it's a it's a lot of stats. Huh? This is three mana four four with an upside. Yeah. It's it's a strange card. We don't get effects like this all that often. It's kind of the opposite of Ace Hunter Crane, where instead of making the rest of your board better, it makes one thing better. Uh, there are times when this is going to be really powerful. There aren't too many attack triggers that I can think of in Hunter right now. But still, if you manage to get this down in anything proactive, it's going to be pretty good. It incentivizes trading, though, and Hunter right now doesn't want to trade all that much. Yeah, but we want to support Hunter decks that are not necessarily face hunter and in those kind of decks this seems very powerful like this is a this is a stacking buff this is something that you're basically once you buff and trade which you get a, a favorable trade because this is immune you have to kill the minion like your opponent has to remove this now because if they don't and they're developing into the board hunter gets more free trades so it makes a it's a pretty significant threat and it's also sticky because, yeah, obviously, uh, like if they don't kill it twice, they don't deal with the minions and the spawning uh, mount, then they can get another favorable trade. This also is very good with Dire Frenzy. You can put Dire Frenzy on the mount that spawns because the mount, I think, is a playable card. I think it's, a, it's also a card you can put in your deck. It's a two-drop. Uh... So that card works really well with Dire Frenzy. And, you know, there could be something here. It also works really well with Venomous Scorpid, if that's your jam. That is true as well. Venomous Scorpid uh, with this, again, uh, promotes resource-focused hunter strategy, something we haven't seen. This expansion, I think this card's good. Honestly, I think it's good. Also, um, very relevant for uh, Kotobane. And I do like that it promotes a different kind of hunter. It's not a card you just slam and face hunter. And I appreciate that because we have enough of those. All right. We have a weird mechanic coming up. Are you ready to talk about this weird mechanic? Quest lines. These are quests, that just like the old Doom quests or the Angora quests, except they have three levels. They level up twice. You do the first one. It's a, it's a medium requirement. You get a reward right away, and then it levels to the second phase of the quest. When you complete the requirement, which may be the same, may be different, then it levels to the third level. Then when you do the third level, you complete it, you get the final reward. It's one of the big mercenaries from this year, and they're a super powerful version. For example, let's talk about the mage quest, Sorcerer's Gambit. So remember, always starts in your hand, always playable on turn one. For this one, you have to play a fire, a frost, and an arcane spell to level it. Now, if you play like two fire spells first, it doesn't translate to the next level uh, requirement. It's three of these, then it flips, resets the counter to zero. So you do fire, frost, and arcane, you draw a spell. The second time, it's also cast a fire, frost, and arcane spell. Then you discover a spell. I assume it's one fire, one arcane, one frost you discover from. The third reward, Arcanist Dawn Grasp. For the ninth spell that you play, 
for those keeping track at home, it's three per level, nine spells total that got to be played in a very specific order. But Arcanist Dongrass, they are a five mana, seven, seven. Battlecry, give your hero spell damage plus three for the rest of the game. What a weird design. I love quest lines. You love them? Really? I love quest lines. I think... So here's the thing. Uh, the original quests had a problem, had an issue where you play them on one and they're just complete the quest and, and like get a big power spike or something like that. And obviously they were flawed. They were often very polarizing. And I think part of the reason why they were so polarizing is the fact that they were, you, you had, you, you played them on one, they reduced your hand size, right? Your openings are weaker and less consistent because you have a card you have to play on turn one and you can't cycle it or replace it. it means you're starting with one less card in, in hand. And the reward was super powerful and overwhelming and then often too quick, like Quest Rogue, that often led to a polarizing experience and these decks were very erratic. And then they printed quests again in Savers of Doom, and those quests were like, the rewards weren't as great, weren't as overwhelming, uh, but the requirements were, I think, more balanced, more nuanced, uh, not as extreme. And that, I think, led to a better experience. And here we have a quest line, which I think depolarizes the quest even further, and generally making it more engaging because it's three-tiered. It has three-tiered. You get rewards at every pit stop, which I think helps depolarize the deck. And also, I think it just makes it more engaging. But the reward is once again very powerful and offers a really strong finisher. It's going to take a long time to complete the quest, it's not an easy quest to complete. But what I like about it is that once you complete it, the lethality is there. You're going to end the game very soon after playing Dawn Grasp. This plus three spell damage. Like Imagine you're playing Spell Mage with this quest. Your fireballs are nine damage. And your opponent cannot... like. You don't need spell damage on the board anymore. Like, your opponent is going to die. Imagine they print another burn spell. Even Arcane Orb deals five for two mana. At that point, this is a very lethal finisher. And I like that. Because, once again, I've said before, resource-focused decks that have a proactive finisher are more engaging, more fun to play, and more fun to play against because if they survive and get to the win condition, at least the game is just over. Uh, and they don't just needlessly draw, uh, drag things out. I like that a lot. This, again, there's a big drawback here because it's a quest. means you're stunning with one less card in hand. But Spellmage does have some card draw, uh, which helps a lot with these kind of decks. And... I think it's just engaging. It's interesting. It, it makes for interesting gameplay. You've got Fire, Frost, and Arcane. You need to um, know how to spend your resources wisely in order to make this as efficient as possible. 
Uh, a card like Arcane Orb becomes really strong in the mulligan, potentially, because you play it on two, it's an Arcane. Then maybe it allows you to find, let's say in your hand, you you have a Fire Spell, so you're trying to find a Frost Spell in order to complement it and get to the level one. I like the fact that the, the Pit Stops give you some cards, you draw and you discover, so they refill your hand a little bit, helps you with your hand size and your resources in hand, help makes it more likely that you compete uh you can complete the next tier. And then the finisher is just so cool. It's so exciting uh to have this kind of finisher in the game where it's like, okay, I, I did what I needed to do. I assembled my combo and now you're gonna die. Right, and also this seems really good against priest. And whoever tells me that this is not good because midness, like you're playing spell mage, so you don't have a lot of minions. So then you complete the quest, and they midness, and they eat the dawn grass. You can complete the quest and play dawn grass at the same turn, which means you can play around midness pretty effectively. And you're very likely to be able to do that because you're gonna float mana. You're not gonna complete the quest in turn six. This quest is going to take a while to complete. But once you do, something like Priest is going to die. But Spell Mage already beats Priest most of the time, right? Like, it's... I like the idea of the dynamic rewards, and it plays a little differently based on how far you get. You don't even have to finish the quest to get something out of it. This is so many hoops to jump through, and we have to get more support cards than we have right now, because the Spell Schools are a very recent addition... And we don't have as many tools. Like, the depth is not equal, right? If you look at Arcane, we've got plenty of fire. We've really got, what, Combustion and, I guess, Fire Sail. And Frost doesn't really have very much. Fireball. Also oh, Fire right. Spell. That one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the flame Strike. Ha, there's, there's, there are Fire Spells. We were cutting that card. We don't play that anymore. We play Shooting Star instead. E, that is true, but I, I think Frost Spells could be the limiter here, actually, rather than the fire. But it doesn't matter. We'll see all the cards, and then we'll find out. Point is, for me, when I look at this quest, I see an exciting quest that's going to be fun to play. I'm not sure how good it is, but it seems like very layered design, uh, learning from past experiences with quests, making them more engaging throughout the game by making them tiered and having some rewards at the pit stops, I think that makes it less polarizing. Uh, I think that will make them less polarizing and feel better to play. Um, and yeah, they're going to be difficult to complete. It seems like they're going to be difficult to complete. But once they are completed, Hat, they're going to win the game. Like, this is like a, a three, a plus three spell damage and mage permanent aura. Like, all of your AoEs basically clear the entire board, and you're going to kill them pretty fast. So this is a very lethal finisher, which it should be because the quest is difficult to complete, right? So you need to get a good reward for it. They've described this as entering the second phase of the game, right? The circumstances change, the stakes are higher, things are different, and these are all definitely forward-moving. They're really designed to push games towards a conclusion one way or another. If we look at, like, the post-Jade, post-Rexar, post-Knights of the Frozen Throne era, they've changed their design to make sure that there are cards that say, no, we're going to finish the game now, right? They pulled back a lot on Descent of Dragons, where that reached a peak of, like, Dragon Queen Alexstrasza and Galakrons and whatever. We don't need to be that extreme. We don't need to push games towards a conclusion with that kind of crazy swing. We can make people work a little bit harder for it, which is what these quest lines are designed to do. 
but it's still about making sure that games end and conclude as opposed to, well, attrition-based strategies, which we've had enough of with Priest. It's really all about making sure that people have a clear path to victory, a win condition, if you will. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm much more excited about the Warlock quest. I am too. The Demon Seed. One mana Warlock legendary spell. So level one, take six damage on your turns. This accumulates over multiple turns. The reward is deal three lifesteal damage to your opponent. Then it flips to the next level where you have to take seven damage on your turns. Keep in mind there's no overflow here. If you end up taking eight damage on your turn through some big spell, you still start the next level at zero. So level two, take seven damage on your turns total. The reward is you deal three to your opponent again, you gain three life back. The final reward, you have to do eight damage to yourself on your turns. And you get Blightborn Tamsin, five mana, seven, seven. Battle cry. For the rest of the game, all damage you take on your turns is dealt to your opponent instead. And yes, fatigue counts. Zach, this is pretty cool. God, this quest is insane. And this is delete lock. I want to delete my own deck and they take a bunch of fatigue damage and life tap and fatigue. Oh, yeah. I don't think you played delete lock, Hat. I don't think you played delete lock in this deck uh, with this quest. I really don't. What do you want to do? Stealer? I want to just play Militia and Soul Fragments and Raise Dead. And yeah, that's what I want to do. Uh, but like, I, I'm just topping out the deck at, at Militia. This is my. Um, initial feelings on the matter because you're taking a lot of damage you're taking 15 net just by completing the quest so you're gonna need some life gain uh you you can play giants flesh giants as well i think that works with it but the point is that just you know the moment i realized that fatigue damage is taken by your opponent like you can just get to the end of your deck and once you do it's like Oh, maybe you do play Altar of... I don't know, man. I don't know. But the point is... I'm saying you see it now, right? You see how Altar of Fire is the nuts here? Yeah, I do see it. But I'm not sure it's... I'm not sure it's going to be a thing. um, Because I really want to play Militia and uh, Soul Fragments with this deck as well. It's... We'll see what happens. But the point is... uh, This has... Like massive, there's massive potential here. Also, the fact that it also works with delete lock because um, you cannot discard your win condition. That's also important to keep in mind. Yeah, we don't have to run Jaraxxus anymore. Yeah, maybe I'm warming up to that. But the fo- the point is, backfire when you're in fatigue, you can just kill your opponent. This is so much damage. So you don't really need uh, uh, like a heavy win condition. You don't need like a Ticketus or a Jaraxxus in order to win the game. All you need to do is focus on drawing as quickly as possible, getting to the end of your deck, and completing the quest, right? So you're playing removal, self-damage mechanics, and draw. And that's your win condition. Like, you're playing against uh, that against any late-game strategy, doesn't kill you before that, they're going to be in big trouble. Obviously, the reward is is huge. I think uh, this is a game-ender. Uh absolutely but it is a difficult quest to complete right you're taking a lot of damage you need to be able to sustain through that um it's not it's not that easy to do it's not trivial but you know the reward is really really big and this is a very exciting uh quest i think is going to encourage a really interesting game uh, play style and one of the most 
you know, one of the things, I, I don't know, everything I look at when, when this expansion was announced and all the new cards, I just want to play with everything. And this is one of the, this maybe might be number one. Demon Seed is like so cool. This is, this quest is so cool. And it's interaction in the late game is going to be so fun. You're going to life tap and fatigue hat just to nook your opponent. This is so funny. Yeah, they take the first tick of fatigue damage. They take the life tap damage. They take the second tick. It's it's a lot. And then you backfire. They're just dead. This is like a this is just a finisher. This is, you just nook them with like a backfire or something like that. So you're gonna want a lot of draw in order to because the draw cards become your nukes once you hit fatigue. This is like really makes it really interesting. Just think about it. I'm going I'm, I'm going to play the hell out of this deck on day 1. That's for sure. Like this is so cool. And also there's the forgotten card that really needed some power level help and support. Uh Phrase Dead. Phrase Dead clearly needed to be better. No, Stealer of Soul. That's the card. That's the re- this quest is the reason why Stealer of Souls got banned in wild and not touched in standard because they want to make Stealer of Souls work in standard and I think this quest was pretty much the intention because if you play Steel of Souls, like imagine you're playing Steel of Souls after quest completion, like your opponent is just going to die. You're just going to play your entire deck and they're going to die. You just nook them with that card. So I think Steel of Souls is likely going to make an appearance in this deck. Uh, super cool. Also, the fact that you don't have carryover, you need to pay attention to that because if you took five damage on level one and you have a backfire, you may want to tap instead of playing backfire in order to save the extra damage for the next tier. There's interesting patterns that could that could occur uh, playing this deck, but this is, I don't know, this is so cool. I have nothing else to say other than I think this is one of the coolest designs we've seen. Uh, and I hope it's viable because it's cool. And it also pushes you away. No ticketes. I really like the fact that they found a win condition, a way to promote a, a, another late game strategy for Warlock that pretty much interferes with ticketes. Maybe you play ticketes to burn your own deck. I don't know, with the delete lock. Yeah, it's just a, a six mana 88 that mills your own cards. That's a Fell Reaver. Let's play that. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this delete lock versus militia because I'm I'm leaning towards survivability here. But then again, you want to get to the fatigue. It's gonna be an interesting tension here. We'll see what ends up. What idea ends up winning out? We'll probably have a better idea once we see the support. Uh, there's gonna be support cards for this quest for sure. We'll see what they are, and then we'll we'll know what kind of archetype this is gonna be. I don't think the lead lock is a deck that they want to promote to be good. So I'm kind of not that uh, optimistic about its chances of successfully incorporating this quest, but could be. There's definitely some incentive to get to fatigue as quickly as possible, but you still need to complete the quest hat. You need the cards to complete the quest. You can't just burn your whole deck and not be able to deal 15 to yourself. So that is something to keep in mind. You also need cards after... um, completing the quest in order to deal damage to your opponent very quickly. Just getting to fatigue and starting the ticks, like one damage, two damage, three, that's not a lot. You still need to nuke your opponent or they could race you and kill you before that happens, before you're able to finish them off. So going to be interesting to see, but kudos, great looking quest, really exciting. Yeah, I love how much energy we can put into thinking about this, and we're still nowhere near figuring out, and we haven't seen the support cards. And if you look back at cards like Unstable Shadow Blast, they make a lot more sense now. Yeah, a lot of the things that they've printed over the last 
well, Welling Cavern, what they did in Welling Caverns pretty much promotes this quest. It was a setup for this quest specifically. And a lot of things, like there are a lot of self-damage mechanics in Warlock that have been ignored until now that you might take a second look now with Seed uh, of Doom. It's so cool. Love this quest. I- I'm so excited about the other quest because if... Sources Gambrit and Demon Seed is an indication of what's happening with the other classes. I just can't wait to see what the Rogue Quest is, and like everything just looks so cool. These, these might be the best sets of uh, quests that we've seen, which shows a lot. You know, like again, the three tiered system depolarizes the experience, makes it more engaging. Throughout the game, you get these uh, little rewards. Along the way, I think that helps a lot. Make the decks uh, feel better to play. And we have not even gotten to the new archetype they're pushing for Priest. We have not even talked about it yet. Zach, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Dark Bishop Benedictus. This is one of the two diamond cards for this expansion, by the way, so you know there's going to be some support for this. Just It's been confirmed by Celestial in an interview. It's a 5-mana five 5-6. Five, Start of game. You remember that text. If all the spells in your starting deck are shadow, enter shadow form. Turn 0. So if you're not running any holy spells or any untag spells, whatever, then you basically become a better odd mage. So we get start of the game effect again, including quest. So some people have concerns with that. I think it's fine to revisit this kind of mechanic. Um, you know, you learn from the previous iterations and you apply what you, you what you've taken into new cards. There's nothing wrong with that. I think mechanics are not inherently unhealthy. It just depends on how you balance them and how you design them. This is obviously cool. Uh, the deck building restriction seems very restrictive. I mean. <laughs> Not running holy spells. A lot of the holy spells in priests right now is are extremely important and are very powerful. Like not running apotheosis, for example, that's a big deal. Not running renew, but it does encourage a deck that's more aggressive, the aggressive kind of priest deck, which we haven't seen much before. But yeah, I mean, a two. This is this is stronger than the Baku hero power for a demon hunter. Uh, this is two. Damage, targetable, start of game. I think people underestimate it, are going to underestimate it initially because Shadow Form is not a good card, it never has been. But when you have an automatic Shadow Form where you don't spend any mana on it, you get it on turn one, that's different. This consistency, start of game effect, we know how consistency can lead to power. We know that Gengraming was a card that was not exciting when it was introduced, but once you realize the consistency of that kind of effect, um, you know, it, it showed how powerful it is. Same for Baku. Benedictus could be very good, but it does depend on what kind of support cards it gets because Priest is not Hunter. It doesn't have the tools right now to pressure very consistently in the early game it doesn't have great tools for an initiative focused deck that supports such a hero power such an aggressive hero power since you cannot run holy spells you also lose a lot of the late game um 
a resource advantage that you can get from a lot of the holy spells in the priest plethora so we're gonna see what kind of shadow spells we get we're absolutely gonna get them you're not gonna not see shadow spells being printed in this expansion when benedictus is being introduced but the question is what kind of shadow spells are we gonna see what kind of play styles are they gonna promote are we going to see like a Shadow Reaper Anduin style machine gun, maybe mechanic, where this could be very, this could get very crazy? Or is this going to be more of a consistent uh, Gangraman style, of, uh, uh, Baku style of play? Uh, we don't know. But start of game effects cannot be underestimated. And we'll have to see what other support cards uh, are going to be introduced. But this is cool. This is a new direction. This is a priest with at least gives you the impression of lethality that I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to prolong the game and just make you miserable. I'm going to win the game by pressuring you and clicking that button at your face. I'm the hunter now, right? I'm going to be the hunter now. So that's interesting. And we've got a couple developer quotes from interviews here. So from Liv Breeden, it's one of the major archetypes of the sets. They're going to get a couple of pieces that go along with it. And from Celestalon in a different interview, I don't know if it's quite as face-centric as something like Hunter. It's a little bit more mid-rangey, tempo-y. But you do play some minions, and there are a couple spells that can go face, some limited healing through lifesteal, and two more cards that we haven't revealed yet that will fit in nicely. So they really want this to work. Yeah. And, and we know that when they want something to work it's gonna get pushed <laughs> uh, we know that yeah so really cool i i like it a lot we'll see what happens but if there's a new priest deck that's shadow priest and uh, plays very differently from the current control priest it's gonna be refreshing yes kind of looking forward to it and i need my thousand one priest portrait i'm in the high 900s but i just can't bring myself to play it right now so i'm looking forward to getting there with some shadow priest hopefully so We've got five more cards to talk about here. They're all neutrals. This next one is in the game right now as of the time that you're listening to this. It's a free, it's a legendary, it's yours if you logged in. Flightmaster Dungar. Battlecry, you choose one. It goes dormant for one turn, three turns, or five turns. If it's one turn, when it wakes up, you get a 2-2 adventurer, the same pool as the ones from Wailing Caverns. If it's three turns, you restore 10 health to your hero. And if it's five turns... You shoot 12 missiles, and yes, they can go face. I think this card has a lot of potential to see play right now. Uh, it's obviously going to be experimented with, and we're going to see what ends up happening with it. I can see it being good in Priest. Um, like, heal your hero for 10. I can see it being good in Warlock as well. Defensive decks that want to mostly go for the 3-turn, 5-turn dormant uh, options. But I can see even a deck like Miracle Rogue playing this because it gives you it can give you a heal which Rogue doesn't naturally possess. And the five turn clock of dealing twelve damage among enemies, this can also go face. Seems pretty lethal to me. You're playing this, it puts your opponent in such pressure if you're playing this on three and going for the the five turn dormant. Uh, like in any late game matchup, like you just need to keep the board clear and you deal 12 to the opponent. This could be very, very powerful. Obviously, the dormant is like <laughs> it's a 
it's a big sacrifice in your early game initiative. But in slow matchups, it can definitely work. And it's sort of a pseudo win condition almost. Um, so I can see it being experimented in a variety of decks. I don't like aggressive decks. I'm not going to play this. Uh, decks that rely on initiative are not going to play this. This is too big of a sacrifice. Yeah, even if you just do adventurer for one turn, it's still not really worth it. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think this is worth it as a. Uh, a lot of people are calling it three mana uh, five five, but it's not really three mana five five because you're a but because Dunkar nor the adventurer can attack uh, over the next two turns. So, like you can only play like basically only if you play this on three, the adventurer and Dunkar only attack on turn five. That's pretty slow. It could be okay, I guess. Like faster decks might experiment with this just because the you know the meta is a little bit stale, so they're gonna try the new card. But I feel like the turn the five turn dormant could be a pseudo win condition for a deck even like Miracle Rogue, and it can work there. Obviously, it can work in Priest. I don't need to tell you why it can work with Priest uh, and Warlock as well. But Warlock is not a class right now, and I don't think this makes Warlock viable. But I think it's a cool legendary to give for free right now and let people experiment a bit, try new things. So it's a cool card. Like it. Yeah, it's flexible. It's interesting. It's a cool design. I don't know if any of the options are really where we want to be. Like none of them stands out to me as this is really good. Uh, it. I'm sure people will play it for a bit in this meta. I don't think it's the sort of thing that you play because of the raw power. So maybe it sees play now, but not the rest of the year. Is it a four-set meta card, Zach? No, actually, I think this card is... I mean, healing your hero for 10. Like, if you play this on turn three against, like, a burn deck or an aggressive deck, this this is pretty... This is pretty oppressive. Like, you're, they're going to get the, the 10 heal. That's a lot of heal. And, again, like, in slower matchups, you take the five-turn dormant, your opponent is heavily punished if it if if, the, if they don't aggressively develop into the board. This almost feels like an imprisoned Antian kind of card, right? Uh hmm. I mean, this is a very very slow Antian, but it's a three mana card. It's not it's not five mana or six mana where it got nerfed now, so it can deal a lot of damage. I think that Miracle Rogue. I'm gonna. This could make Miracle Rogue better against Priest specifically. This can help because it circumvents Lucia. Lucia is useless against it. I guess so. They get to play into the turn it wakes up, though, right? You can't really stop them from doing that. Yeah, that is true. But still, I think that the like also Rogue lacks AOE. So even in like faster matchups, having this card could be very good on turn three. It buys you time. I don't know, you still need a bit of time, right? If you play turn three, it goes off turn eight. That's not the fastest clock. But let's say you're playing a, a, a fast-paced matchup, right? A, a more of a fast-paced matchup. If the Rogue now knows that they can just go even on the board, they don't need to win board necessarily. They just need to go even, and this card will tip the scales. So it's like a clock. It's like, I'm giving you five turns. If you don't overwhelm me, I'm winning the game. I think that can be powerful. Even though it's dormant for five turns, and people are going to say, Zachary, what are you talking about? Fast matchups? Well, what are you talking about? 
but this could be like just a win condition. And I'm I'm saying this like this is mostly going to be better in slower matchups, but I'm saying it might not be entirely useless in the faster matchups. That's all I'm saying. Where it's not completely garbage. You're not going to look for it maybe in the mulligan. But if you happen to draw it and you play it on turn three, maybe it's not so bad. It gives you some plan. Um, so I think this card is going to be see experimentation. The more I think about it, the more I like it in Rogue. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll have an answer to it. But I like it. Well, we should see it in the data because it's on ladder right now. So maybe we have answers next week. All right, we got mailbox dancer. Rare, neutral, two mana, three, two minion. Battlecry, you get a coin. Death Rattle, your opponent gets a coin. Eh? Mm, I like it. I don't know. If, uh, this could you be do. good. And I mean, this is kind of these neutrals that I'm, I'm saying, okay, probably not good enough and constructed, but then something happens and suddenly they're good enough. You know, in some sort of sort of strategy. This could be... This could be something. Maybe you play it in Death Rattle Demon Hunter in order to get an earlier skull or an earlier Blackthorn. I just don't really want to give my opponent an Innervate. True, you don't want, but you get a coin too. And you're the one who gets it first. This, I don't know, probably not good enough, but it kind of... It's not... A blank card, right? It's not completely unplayable, completely trash that we're never going to see ever. I just can't imagine putting it in deckless. You need synergy with this, but I can see some synergy supporting this card. I'm not going to rule it out. It could be okay. Yeah, clearly what this card needs is the spirit of the shark, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Pandaren Importer. It's a two mana, one three neutral common. Battlecry, discover a spell that did not start in your deck. Now, this is interesting. If you're playing Shadow Priest and you want to renew or an apotheosis, this is how you get it. Yeah, this is the first application I immediately thought of. But this card is just good if you like if you want to generate cards. This this card gives you a pretty good deal. Two mana, one three. This could end up being a Scorpid level card in other decks. Other than like the Shadow Priest that we're talking about. Uh, Rogue can play this. Uh, it's a two mana battle cry. It gives you some value. You can get things like Sinister Strikes to finish off the opponent. Uh, you can get like Coerce. That it's a card that you don't naturally want to run in your deck. But maybe you don't mind drawing it in specific matchups. Generating it in specific matchups. And you can find Savory Deviate Delight or whatever. Yeah, or get a prep. There's definitely some upside to running this card. I think it's just a good deal. I like the fact that it doesn't generate things that you're that are in your deck, but I don't think that's that big of a drawback. I think just discovering a card for this kind of two mana one three, that's very good. That's like nice body for the discover effect. Could end up being a, a Scorpid level card. And we know how popular Scorpid is. It's just two mana. Seems good. I think this card is going to see play. Even in Control Priest right now. Like even if you don't. Okay, so you can't get Apotheosis from it. You can't get Renew. You can't get the best cards. But maybe you don't run Hysteria anymore. So you don't mind getting an Hysteria. And maybe you get a Desperate Prayer. That could be helpful. Like 
So the average quality of card and standards going up with the rotation of classic, that seems to be an intended goal. And if the reason that cards aren't being included is not because they're too bad, but because they're too situational, we've kind of found a way to bypass that situationality and you can get it into your deck by playing Importer. And it's a rate that we've seen before. It's been playable before on, uh, what, Nether Spite Historian? I remember, 2 minute 1-3 where you're holding a dragon, you discover a dragon. It's awesome play. I don't think this will be quite at that relative power level, given, you know, the environment it was in at the time. But it's a card that's definitely worth considering in a lot of decks, and Shadow Priest seems like a really natural fit. I don't know. I think this is going to be more common than Nether Spite, because Nether Spite, you have to play dragons, so you can only play it in a dragon deck. Here, I can see it being sprinkled in in multiple kind of decks. Something like Shaman could play this, like a Control Shaman deck could be interested in this card. Okay, yeah. And in Shaman, it lets you play Dungeoneer and then find non-nature spells. I think spell schools are kind of the big payoff that we see so far here. That's what they're. this is designed for, probably? Yeah, that is true. You can get a Devolving even though you can't, you don't really want to run it because of Primal Dungeoneer. This card's very good. For me, this is very comparable to Wandmaker in terms of power level. We know how good Wandmaker is. I'm pretty confident this card sees play. This is one of the better ones. This is one of the good ones, Hat. We're going to see more. We're going to see quite a bit of uh, the Importer. Now, I am curious to see what you think of Peasant. We saw PN last expansion. That didn't really get there. Peasant is the alliance equivalent, one mana, two, one, common, neutral minion. At the start of your turn, draw a card. And hey, this is a one mana caravan. This card is very good when going first and very, very bad when going second. And uh, Going first against not Demon Hunter. Yeah, of course. But based on history, what I remember is that cards that are this way, when they're very good going first and they're very bad going second, usually don't end up seeing play. Uh, I think that there will probably be better draw options for most decks that would be interested in this. This could be an interesting card in a deck like, for example, I'm really reaching here. I'm really being hypothetical. Like a Paladin hand buff deck with the Divine Shield. You buff this and then you play it. It becomes a threat, not easy to ping anymore, can give you some reload. And it's a priority target. You were right that you were reaching. I'm reaching. But like I can see situations where this card could be good, but I don't think this is good enough to just play this on turn one and be happy with it because two mana, uh, one mana, two ones usually do not see play. Uh, pingable minions in the early game are just not good, especially now that Demon Hunter was introduced. Obviously, that makes it far worse. So the fact that it's so... And it's so bad going second, right? If your opponent develops or anything... Or top decked or anything... So, if you're going first and you're not against a Demon Hunter and you have this in hand, it is a pre-nerf Crimson Social Runner, which is quite a good card. And sometimes it sticks, I guess, maybe, and then you could draw a bunch of cards. If you're going second or you top deck this ever, your opponent has minions or stuff or anything, or it's Demon Hunter, turn him into 10 One mana, 2-1, TGT card, just a 2-1 with taunt. Yeah, the, the, obviously this card is not good and like as i said i was setting it up i don't think that this card is good enough to see play i can see some situations where it becomes good by but it needs heavy synergy as i said i was reaching with the paladin but that's an example of the kind of synergy that you need for this card to be good well and you can play it behind a righteous protector or whatever maybe that's good enough i don't know you play this hand of a doll mm, i don't know Probably not good enough. And then you get blown out by a rune door because of how much worse Hand of a Doll is now. Like, I don't know. 
I think people have big dreams of sticking this card and getting a bunch of value out of it, but I just see top decking it or having it when I'm behind and it sucks. And also, this is a format with bumper car in it, and as long as bumper car exists, I don't think you can really play this. Yeah, there's so many rush. There's so much rush in general in the game. Yeah, this card is hor- horrible top deck. I-, I I generally don't like it, but you know. And our final card, Spice Bread Baker. I'm sure we both like this card. Four mana, three two, neutral, common minion, battle cry, restore health to your hero equal to your hand size. Are you looking for Warlock survivability hat? I'm looking for your opinion. Because I think you found it here. I'm looking for Warlock survivability, and I'm thinking about the quest Warlock deck, and this card could be fantastic in it. Um, this is basically a heal bot. Like, your hand size, this means it counts itself, right? It does not count itself. It does not? So at maximum 9 health? Correct. For 4 mana, 3-2? So it's it, it could be better than a heal bot. It's definitely better than a heal bot. I mean, even if your hand side isn't completely full, this is four mana compared to a heal bot, which was five. This card has massive potential in Warlock. I can also see other classes potentially playing this that don't have normally heals, maybe a late game defensive mage deck. Someone's going to play this in Rogue with Shadow Step and just Reno Jackson themselves. Yes, I, I thought about Rogue. But then I remembered Kazakus. Oh, uh, mm. mm. Yeah. So I thought about Rogue. Oh, Rogue can play this, but then it's four mana, so you can't play Kazakus anymore. I'm not sure about that, but if we see like control, like <laughs> it's a meme, but like a defensive Rogue deck, usually Rogue doesn't play defensively. This could be a tool with Shadow Step. This could be relevant. Like Mill Rogue and Wild could play this. This could be kind of funny, right? Uh, even though that's a meme, but. Neutral healing allows some strategies to emerge that would otherwise not emerge, and this kind of card opens that space, that possibility. But the first thing you think about when you see this card is a Warlock, 100%. This is on-demand healing for defensive control Warlock strategy. This is something that they don't really have in spades. Most of their healing right now is incremental through the Soul Fragments and such or like a small heal uh, with Drain Soul and such, this is a big heal. This is a big stabilizer. Um, you can also raise that it, so that's kind of funny. But yeah, this card sees play 100%. Yeah, I think it's pretty solid, and that's the last card we have for today. So any final thoughts before we wind down the show? I think I've tweeted about this. Uh, I'm normally not excited about expansions. I've been playing this game for years and years. Um, so just announcement of a new expansion and some cards generally is not going to excite me, but this expansion excites me. Tradable, these new quest lines, some of these new cards, they really make me want to get to August and get to start experimenting with this. I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the set. I think that there, like some of the things that they printed here could be, historically well-received, especially tradable, is a key word that is going to make a big impact in Hearthstone. And, uh, yeah, the quests look look so sweet. I can't wait to see the other quests for the other classes. This could be very, very cool, very exciting. And this is something that we desperately need because if there's something that I can say about Barons, 
it, the main my main experience is that it's been a little bit boring. Uh, too many decks like play on curve. I mean, it's fine to have some of these decks do that where you play on curve your most powerful possible play, but I feel like it's too much of that. And I want to see things that break that chain, that break that pattern. And with quests and with the other cards that we've seen here, tradables, we're seeing a way to break the patterns of just playing the most powerful things on curve while still being mana efficient. That's important. So that's why I really like it. I think it's going to shake up the mana significantly so and potentially introduce different decks from what we're seeing right now and different types of decks. And this is what I'm... I want in a Hearthstone uh, meta because the more different types of decks you see, the more likely that any player will find something that he they personally like, right? And uh, this is what I think has been missing in Barons and what I'm hoping to see from Stormwind. I think it has a great chance. Yeah, strongly agree. I am really excited. Uh, I didn't mind Barons. I enjoyed it, but the standard format has kind of run its course for me. And it, that happens a lot with four sets and six sets. The last month gets a little stale, but five set metas tend to be the ones that I enjoy all the way through. It definitely happened in Skolomance, even though that was a shorter season. Definitely happened in Saviors outside of Doom in the Tombs and LPG. Well, you know. Saviors was ruined by the, yeah, by Doom in the Tomb. But before that, after the balance changes, the, the, the Pocket Galaxy. That one month was so, so good. It was so good. It was so good, yeah. That is true. But all right. Uh, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We're going to wind down here. Uh, extra special thanks to all of our VS Gold subscribers and our Patreon members and everyone that keeps Vicious Syndicate going. Next report should be at normal time next week. Should have a report on the 8th, podcast on the 10th, as usual, and hopefully we'll have more cards to talk about. Big thanks to Steven Sensei for intro and outro, and we'll talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.